Good morning, friends. Very stoked to uh, to be back uh, back with everybody. Feels like it's been a minute between holidays and then COVID and other exciting things. I got COVID for Christmas or shortly thereafter. Many of you know that, so that was great. As uh, as cousin Eddie says, it's the gift that keeps on giving. So. <laughs> Uh, but actually, one of the gifts in that is no one else in my family got it. So some severe isolation and whatnot, and everybody was great. So very cool. And thank you to Kenji and, and others. There are so many last-minute shifts in personnel this week with a lot of people sick. So thank you, everybody, for that. Uh, hey, so uh, today and the next few weeks, we're doing a series in January and beginning of February, as we so often do, on our vision and our values. And uh, vision is going to be pretty much the 29th, uh, day of the annual family meeting. Got some, got some big stuff to share with you, ask you to be praying over as we go into this next year, some exciting stuff. Uh, the other weeks are going to be honing in, in particular, on our values. And maybe the way to think about this is if, if vision is where you're going, the values are how you get there. These are the rules of the road. These are kind of the, the indispensable elements that wherever it is that we are going, that God is leading us, we have to do these things and do these things well if we are to consider ourselves faithful in living out the vision that God gives us. So uh, at, at Life, there's several that we consider core, and they're, they're on your bulletin, which actually I'm realizing as I say that you don't have today because that was another casualty of sickness this week. Those did not make it. Um, but they're on the website too, but uh, there's, there's sort of the big four on our values that we always start off with when we talk about this, and that's being a people that are biblical, devotional, missional, and connectional. Those four are really key to how we understand who we are as a people, who we are as a church family, and uh, we're going to be, be teaching through those over the next few weeks. The first one that we're doing today, the first one is biblical. And uh, biblical comes first because everything else follows this one. Uh, We share the belief that all Christians have historically held that the Bible is the actual word of God, that it is our final authority for what we believe, what we teach, how we practice, and how we live. And so this one is really foundational, right? Because if if you think about it, uh, if, if we get this one right, we are going to get so many other things right as well. It's going to become the blueprint. It's going to become the game plan for how we make our decisions, for how we move forward in most everything. And conversely, if we get this one wrong, if we don't pay sufficient attention to this, we'll get almost everything else wrong too. So this, this one is always first for us. Uh, in, in all grace and humility and the strength that God provides, being believers that are biblical. Now, let's throw this up as kind of our headline this morning. To be a biblical Christian, this is where we'll focus our attention today. To be a biblical Christian, we have to develop trust in the one behind the Bible. I would submit to you this morning that being a believer in Christ and doing so in a way that is biblical, where we are are trying to know and to live the scriptures, that this often boils down to a question of trust. Trusting the one who gave us these words. Now, this is maybe in contrast to it being a matter of willpower, right? And I think so often this is the way that we approach 
this idea of being people who are living under the scriptures. That it's a matter of willpower. Maybe it's, it's willpower to get up in the morning and read that Bible, or maybe it's willpower to obey the things that you read. But I would suggest to you that that is actually uh, secondary at best. That being a believer who lives well under the scriptures is primarily about trusting the one who gave us the scriptures in the first place. So, uh, how do we do that? How do we grow in trust for God and his word? Uh, our guide this morning is going to be the prophet Isaiah. And uh, we're going to be looking at a passage in Isaiah and a, a couple of reasons that he gives why we can trust the one who gave us the word. So let's pray and we'll look at the scriptures together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do come to you today with the trust that we have and asking you just to add to it. Lord, we think of uh, a man in the Gospels who says to Jesus, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. And that's our prayer this morning too. That you would just draw us to deeper places of knowing who you are, of living out of that reality. And God, we, uh, we would ask that as we do so, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit uh, to be those who are trusting you, who are following you, and in the process are becoming more like Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this is Isaiah chapter 26, verses 7 and 8. For those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. You are a God who does what is right, and you smooth out the path ahead of them. Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. Now, key line there, uh, maybe you caught this, but key line is this. It says, Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. So you see this? There is, is this aspect of obedience where it's framed here in Isaiah as a reflection of our trust. Friends, you and I will obey God to the extent that we trust him. We will obey God to the extent that we believe in his character, that we believe in his promises. We will obey not to the degree of our willpower. We will obey to the degree that we believe in the one behind the scriptures. Now, you see this contrast, right? How this maybe works. Uh, think about it like this. So when you and I are making an effort to, to live as obedient followers of Christ, when we are making an effort to do this and the primary driver of that effort is willpower, it's a little bit like you and I trying to get the car to go faster by getting behind it and pushing it. Right? It, it works a little bit. We, something does come of those efforts. It's something, but the effect is going to be marginal. And we're going to wear ourselves out doing it. It's not going to last very long, right? Uh, by contrast, this idea of being fueled in our adherence to God's word by a trust in the one who gave it to us, that's more like filling up the tank with gas, getting in, turning on the key, and putting your foot on the accelerator. That's where the power is. That's where the effort comes back with the most reward. Or maybe think about it this way. Think about it from kind of looking from the other end of the telescope here. 
So all disobedience, I would submit to you, all disobedience is a failure of trust. Anytime you and I disobey God's word, that is a reflection of how little in that moment we are actually trusting. We're saying, in essence, I trust me more than I trust God. I trust that I have a better way to live. I trust that I better know what will make me happy. I trust that I better know what will be satisfying for me in life. Uh, All disobedience is a failure of trust. Here's an example. Think about this one. So here's a common everyday one that all of us deal with. Lying. Right? Think about lying. So who gets really, really excited when they get to lie to someone? Right? It's, this is not a sexy sin, right? This is not something where we're like, dude, I really hope I get to lie today. It's, it's just not in that category. But it's among the most common ways that you and I tend to blow it. Now, most of the time, let's kind of break this down. Think about how this works. Most of the time, we don't really even want to lie. Really, we don't want to. We feel like we have to. We feel like we have no choice. And so we lie about stuff, right? We blow it somewhere, we do something wrong, we do something that's embarrassing, whatever it is. Why do we lie about that, right? We do it because we feel like we don't have a choice, that the unpleasant consequences of the truth are so great that we would rather lie than tell the truth. So we think, okay, if I told the truth, I would get in trouble. And none of us likes being in trouble. Or we think, if I told the truth, then that other person's Uh, their image of me would be diminished. And none of us wants to look diminished. We want to look terrific. And sometimes we lie to continue to make ourselves look terrific. Or we say, okay, that thing that I want, that thing that I desire, I I would have to put that off or I would miss out on it altogether if I don't lie. And so we feel like we have to, and so we lie. But think about it. What does that action, what does that lie really say about what we actually believe? It says, in essence, I believe the best way for me to live is to avoid unpleasant consequences at whatever expense. I believe it's better for me to not get in trouble or to not have my reputation diminished or to not have to wait or miss out on whatever that thing is. And so we lie as a result. It says something about what we believe at our core, right? Still with me? Now, think about this, kind of as a contrast. Think about this. Uh, if, If you and I were to apprentice ourselves to Jesus in such a way that we become the sort of person who naturally and normally tells the truth on a regular basis, what are the consequences of that? Over time... Perhaps we would become the kind of people who don't have to or feel like we have to lie as much because we're making different choices. Our life doesn't come with a built-in escape hatch where I can do the wrong thing and then quickly cover it up. Maybe it changes the kinds of choices that we make. And maybe in addition to that, maybe if we become the kind of person who, like Jesus, walks through life telling the truth and not lying, maybe we find that we aren't as dependent on managing our image as we always thought we were. That we aren't as diminished if somebody for a second thinks something poorly about us. 
and we don't have to have sort of this full-time PR department around ourselves where we're managing our image for everyone because there's a level of security and, and a settled calm in who we are in Christ that makes that unnecessary. Uh, or maybe it, it changes the level of contentment in our lives. Well, we start to learn over time that if I don't have that thing right now, I'm still okay because my joy isn't in that thing. Uh, are you following this? See, these are two different paths, and the more we live into one path or the other, the more it shapes us. Uh, now, you think about these two paths, and we ask maybe, which is the better way to live? Jesus' way or the way that we typically do it. Right? Us lying, that's, that's pushing the car. It moves a little bit, but if, and some of you know this because you've lived it, I certainly have. But if, if you're living in such a way where you're constantly covering up your mistakes and you're burnishing your image all the time and you're trying to get what you want when you want it, it's tiring. It's, it's not the best way. Jesus has a different path for us. How much we trust the one who gives us these options, that is the thing that determines how well we live into the scriptures that God has given us. So it makes sense? Okay, so how do we do this? How do we grow in trust? And here's, here's what Isaiah tells us. There's two reasons that we can trust the one behind the word. Number one is this that God's path will always be the best path. God's path will always be the best path. Verse 7, it says, For those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. It says of God, you smooth out the path ahead of them. Now, given that we use cars, apparently everything is about cars, but, okay, given that we use cars, uh, we drive on roads, that are created for us by massive earth movers. And, you know, it's pretty easy. Even when it rains and you've got the potholes, we've still got these big smooth roads that we drive on. So it's maybe easy for us to miss the significance of the importance of a good path, right? Unless you want to substitute there a good non-pothole road, and maybe that'll do it too. <laughs> but imagine that you live in a time and a place where your primary mode of transportation is your feet, where mostly it is just you walking, or maybe you you ride a donkey or whatever it is, right? Put yourself back in biblical times. And when that's the case, a good path is a really big deal. Having a path that is smooth, having a path that is level, having a path that is straight, these are a big thing. And and maybe if if you've done any hiking, anybody, I know some of you have, uh, if if you hike, well, maybe you get a, a little bit of a sense of this, that it's uh, man, even a really tough climb is made infinitely better by a good path. Uh, I remember um, one time, years and years ago, in, in my 20s, some friends and I would, would semi-regularly do these Mount Whitney trips. And um, there's a, a path you can do called the Mountaineers Route. It's two days in and one day to get out, and it's super fun. We were all rock climbers back then, so it's, it's, a, it's a great path where you end the last 1,000 feet or so going up the rock, but, um, but it, it was a, a hefty, hefty trip. 
And uh, I remember the first time that we did this, or maybe it was the second time, but we're on our way down, and, uh, and it's, it's the one day out part of the trip, right? And by this time, you're really hungry, and you know, you, you're just really eager to have the experience be done. You already had the summit, and that was great, and now we're on our way out, and we're heading down. And you get to this one part where it's probably the last third of the journey down the mountain. You get to this one part where, where there's this, this crevasse and this stream that runs through it, and you can see the stream runs basically right to the trailhead and where you know your car is waiting and where your car is waiting, that's your ticket to go get food, right? So that's really all that matters at that point. So you can basically see where you are going to. The destination is in sight. But the trail goes, goes up again, right? We've already been going up. Now we're going down. The trail goes up and you go up over this ridge and you do this huge sweeping miles and miles to come down on the other side of this. And this one time, my buddies and I were looking at this, and, and you've got the, the trail that goes up again, and it goes on forever and ever to get to the car. And then you've got this straight path down the middle. And we're like, you know what? <laughs> the shortest distance between two points, it's a straight line, right? Let's, let's just go down the crevasse. It'll be great. And so we do. And, of course, you, you already know what happens. There's no trail. And we have machetes out, and we're hacking off branches, and we're trying to get this, through this thing. And it, it takes us three times the amount of time to take this direct, easy route that it would if we were to do the long, winding route with the ups and the downs. And, friends, how often do we live our lives this way? This, this is that failure of trust. This is what disobedience is. It's when we see the path that God has laid out and we say, that looks kind of hard. I'm not sure I want to do that. Or it's going to take me too long. Or there's going to be ups and downs on it. I, don't, I can see where I'm going. I just want to go there. That's the thing that I want. That's the thing that I need. But it's not actually the best path. It's a mirage. God's path is always going to be the best path. That's what Isaiah is telling us here. I don't have this one on a slide, but you might know it. This, is, this has been a huge verse for me in my life. It's Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to them. And he will, do you know it? He'll what? He'll make your path straight. He'll direct your paths. God is the God who knows the best path. Do you believe this? Because, friends, trusting in this, trusting in the one behind that word, this makes all the difference whether we are to actually live as believers who are biblical. Do we believe that? That his path is the best path. Now, listen to Jesus. He says something really similar. It's a different metaphor, but he's saying the same thing. Matthew 11. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, different metaphor than the path, but, but Jesus is saying the same thing, right? He says, take my yoke. 
right? And a yoke here has a double meaning. A, a yoke was what the oxen wore, right? It's this wooden contraption you put over the ox and you attach the plow to it, and so they can drag the plow and do the work for you, right? So that's a yoke. But there's another meaning in that time too. So a, a rabbi, uh, a rabbi, their body of teaching, their understanding of the scriptures that they would pass on to others, this was also known as that rabbi's yoke. And so Jesus is saying to his hearers here, take my yoke, right? Take on my teaching, take this on, and you will find a restful life, right? How appealing is this question he opens with, right? Are you, are you weary? Are you tired? Are you burned out? He says, I have a remedy for that. Follow my teachings, Right? To put it in the language of this morning, be a believer who is a biblically driven person. He says, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, he says. My burden is light. Now we hear this. We hear this on Sunday and it sounds great. Until Monday. When maybe we're in a place where we need to live out a command of Jesus. And let's say for fun that the command of Jesus that you and I are tasked with living out tomorrow morning is love your enemies. And we say to ourselves, that does not sound easy. That yoke does not sound light. And indeed, it's, it's a very difficult thing to love our enemies. So difficult that I would say we, we can't do it without Christ's help. But consider this. Do you know what is heavier and harder than loving your enemies? Hating your enemies. It's a tremendous burden to hate. It takes a tremendous amount of energy. It diminishes our souls. It makes us smaller. We become harder as people. Uh, it is a tremendous burden to hate other people. Jesus offers a different way. He offers a path that is lighter, a yoke that is easier. Uh, he's saying what Isaiah is saying, that God's path will always be the best path. But friends, the question for you and I is, do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus actually knows the best way to live. This is the crux. This is what makes the difference, not how much willpower we can muster to say yes or no to what we read in the scriptures. It comes down to do we believe that the one who gave us the scriptures actually knows what he's talking about? Do we believe that that yoke is actually easy and light? God's path will always be the best path. It's what Isaiah is telling us. This is what Jesus is telling us. His path will always be the best path. All right, that's one. Uh, the second thing we learn here from Isaiah about trusting the one who gives us the word is, is this, is that God helps those who obey his word. Verse 7, it says, For those who are righteous, so that is those who are obedient to what God teaches, for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough, for you are a God who does what is right, and you smooth out the path ahead of them. Now, this is important. 
Because it tells us why God makes the path smooth. This is the assertion that Isaiah is making, that God is the one who makes the path smooth. But here he's connecting this, connecting the why, God's action, to the who, God's character. He tells us here that God does what is right. Right? You are a God who does what is right, or different translations render this different way. Some say you are the upright one. Or there's uh, another translation still says it this way. It says, Lord, you are honest and fair. You guide those who do what is right. right? So this is who God is. Right? God is this upright God, the one who does what is right. And it says here that, that there's something in God that recognizes that in those who would follow him. Right? For the righteous, he's making the path smooth. Something in the character of God resonates as he sees that in our character, or sees that being developed in our character. And he comes alongside to help. For that person, it says he makes the path smooth. He's the great leveler. He is the earth mover who takes what's a bunch of hilly country and makes a freeway that runs down the middle of it. He helps those who obey, those who would seek to do what is right. Now, remember, uh, this isn't in this text, but we talk about it a lot. Remember, God's ultimate aim is not to make you into a kind of the subservient person who simply does what he says because he has said it. He's not looking to make himself a bunch of slaves who do what they are told. He is looking to make us into sons and daughters who sit at his table, who enjoy relationship with him, who are being transformed from the inside out to look more and more like his son, Jesus. In other words, God wants to create in you and I a certain type of character, character that is like his. And so he responds to that when he sees that in us, when he sees that we are developing the sort of character that is in fact his goal, he runs to help us in that, to make the way smooth as we pursue him in this. Uh, Here's another, right? I I love this. This is from 2 Chronicles. This is such a, one of those little nuggets that's thrown in those historical books where, you know, you're getting lost in all the names and all the numbers and everything. But this pops up in 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Let me read that again. This is so good. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Isn't that a great picture? God's eyes are roaming. God is searching. He's not even passive in this. It's not that, that you know, he happens to look up right as you're doing the right thing, and he's like, hey, boy, good job. God's eyes are roaming the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And for what purpose? To give them strength. God helps those who obey his word. It's a great, great image. And note this too. This is really important. Note, it does not say that God is looking for the perfect. It does not say that God is looking for those who never screw up. Those people don't need strengthening. They're already doing it. God is looking for those whose hearts want to be there. 
He is looking for those who say, I know I'm kind of a mess, but man, I'd really rather not be. God is looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him that he might give them strength. Right? Back to our car. So God sees you out there valiantly trying to push it down the road. It's like, man, let me come along with a gas can. Let's fill this thing up. I can give you more power to do the thing that you are desiring to do. Maybe think about it like this. So when you are pouring a cup of coffee in the morning and you've carved out 10 minutes when you're sitting there and you're praying through a passage of scripture and you say, I want to do that today. That God is right there with you. And his Holy Spirit, this is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit is right there at your side to strengthen you to do that thing. That you will not be on your own in doing this. It won't just be you trying to hack out a path. It won't just be you trying to plow with this yoke on your back. It is going to be the Holy Spirit of God saying, all right, let's do this thing together. You want to obey God, I'll give you the strength for that. Right, so, so whatever it is that you're kind of currently working on, right? Maybe, maybe you and God, you're having conversations right now about being less judgmental or about not over-drinking or not over-eating or you're trying to become more humble or you're trying to become less judgmental, whatever it is. Friends, when you show up and you're like, okay, God, I want this. Man, he's right there. The Holy Spirit is right there to say, okay, let's do this together. And then you know, when you know what happens is you do this repeatedly, right? If, if this isn't a one-off, if this is the way that you are aspiring to live, not as somebody who every now and again says, okay, I'm going to try to live as a biblical Christian, but if this is, is something that you're living into on the regular, what happens with that? Well, the beautiful thing is that over time, as you do this repeatedly, it becomes part of your character, part of the normal and natural way that you operate. And then one day... You wake up and you've been, you know, you've been working with God on becoming less judgmental and you wake up one day and realize, huh, that's a lot less difficult than it used to be. And and you say, okay, the yoke is easy. The burden is light. What at one point felt very heavy and very difficult is now just who you are. Because God, the righteous one, sees you attempting to act righteously, and he strengthens you. He helps those who obey his word. Uh, It's a great deal. (laughs) We get so much out of this. Uh, And do you know what God gets out of it? Here's what he gains. God gains the person that we become. That's ultimately what he wants. Christianity is not first and foremost about getting people into heaven. It's about getting heaven into people. It's about us being transformed in the likeness of Christ. And that's what God gets. 
sons and daughters that he gets to love and they get to love him. It's a pretty good deal. All right. So friends, I want to throw this out as an application for us. The application, your homework, if you will, as we head into this new year together and we're thinking about living out this value, your homework is this. It's one a day. One a day. Here's the thing. Every day, read something in God's word and take one obedient step. One a day. That can be one verse, right? If that's where you're at, if, if it's like, hey, right now I'm at zero, you want to move to one, one verse. There's actually an app for this. I love this. You know the Uversion app? We use it on occasion for this and that. It sends you a verse of the day, and they're always terrific. I love it. I have this on my phone every day. It's like, hey, what's the verse of the day? Maybe that's your one, right? Maybe it's one verse. Okay. Take it in. Really take it in. Take it in deep. And then seek to live in obedience to that one word. Right? That's all. Or maybe it's, it's, it's one chapter of Scripture. Maybe it's one hour that you're able to give to this. Whatever it is. Figure out what your one is. What's the appropriate place for where you're at? But one, read one thing in God's word each day and then seek to obey it. And maybe, you know, you read something and, man, there's a dozen different things I can do with this. Don't worry about the dozen. One, what's the one obedient step that you want to take this day in response to God's word? Just one. Each day, read one, take one obedient step. And friends, as you do so, know this and trust this, that the path that you are setting out on that day by taking that one obedient step, that is the best path. That is the best way to live. Right? And hey, there's still mountains. God is not promising a life where we're suddenly uh, absolved from the consequences of living in a fallen world. It's still hard. But he promises a path. It'll be smooth. Stay on that path. As you do this, know that his spirit will be right there next to you, guiding you and strengthening you as you do it. Let's pray together.